hair, the chuckle, the kind of kindliness, the, yeah. you know. So there's that. That's a very specific type of purely natural salesman. I feel like not studied, not but not, natural. But you also in in Killer Instinct, you talk a lot about the the guys attempting to master, you know, that extraordinary weird business subculture of teaching people how to kind of acquire this. And I, that's also, what I, I love that sort of picture as well. That's one thing I really wanted to talk to you about as well, because I wrote about the, the notion of micro-expressions, that, mm-hmm. that notion that you can just tell looking in someone's face. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, you, you've got a great stretch in, in Blink about that, and, mm-hmm. and then in your New Yorker piece about Paul Ekman, I think. Yeah. Is it real? Is it bogus? Uh, is, it, is it something that my character teaches himself this mm-hmm. through self-help books? Yeah. It is real. It's not bogus at all. And properly mastered, an extraordinarily powerful tool. Mm-hmm. But the key phrase is properly mastered. I suspect that it, mastering it is a good deal harder than self-help practitioners would have us believe. Mm -hmm. If you talk to people kind of in the real world who have mastered this, they've spent years on it. Now, there are certain very simple things that can be taught very quickly. So Ekman will say, for instance, that there's a limited number of micro-expressions that he can teach you to pick up in an hour. Right. But that is, let's understand, a fraction of what's out there. And he's really talking about some fairly basic trademark things, some distress signals, some other kinds of things. But for the really rich, nuanced stuff, the stuff that you would need if you were uh, a CIA interrogator or a really, really good therapist or a fantastic salesman, right? then we're talking about much more than that. We're talking about really years of really sitting down and systematically teaching yourself this kind of stuff. You have an example of people who were abused as children or children of alcoholics. And I think also only children mm-hmm. who are just, who learn to read every nuance of their parent's face, uh, as my daughter does. In the slightest expression that I'm not even aware of, she will say, Dad, you're upset. Yeah. When I am, but I am convinced I haven't let that slip, but more subtle uses of that. And it, I was fascinated by the notion of people who can acquire this. Some of the salespeople I talked to talked about how they had learned the way someone sat at a table, the way Mm -hmm. someone shook their hand, Mm -hmm. any number of things. They could tell if someone was really going to buy or just leading them on, or if someone had the power to say yes Mm -hmm. or didn't. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that, in a sense, a lot of the great sales guys acquire this not even by teaching themselves, but just by experience. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is... um, that when you're dealing with sort of corporate sales on that level, and this is actually, I would distinguish this from, when in Blink I talked about car salesmen, and that's between a salesman and the kind of lay public, someone who's only going to buy three or four cars over the course of their lifetime maybe, or adult new cars anyway. So it's a relatively inexperienced actor and an experienced actor. In your book, in Killer Instinct, you're really talking about something that's more interesting, which is sales transactions where both parties are experienced. So there's a ritual there. It's It becomes extraordinarily choreographed. They have been through it again and again and again. You have the tale of the the woman who gets taken out to dinner and keeps, who's they're trying to sell to and who keeps ordering the $400 bottles of wine and right. she knows she's not going to buy from them. She's taking them for a ride. Right. It's a very different scenario yeah. that both parties are wise to the rules of the game, yeah. right? 
there is a case of the the target taking advantage of the targeter as much as the other way around. Right. And so in that kind of situation, there's a kind of underlying, well-understood choreography to the pitch. That's where I believe these people, the smart ones, get extraordinarily sensitive to the slightest variations in the choreography. And correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't your protagonist understand there's something amiss yes. in her behavior? Yes. She's acting out of turn, right, right, in the choreography, and he picks it up. Yeah. You know, that's what you can't do that when you're dealing with the novice. You can deal with that when both parties are kind of wise to the dance. Right. And it's almost as if they both know. Yeah. They're communicating subintentionally or subtextually. Yes. It's there's, almost, you know, there's a kabuki element to it. Oh, they're, yeah. they're both acting it out in Cause, a sense. Because think about it. How many times have has the, the manager for procurement and the sales guy gone through this dance? They know each other. Right. They've been buying and selling from each other for years in some cases. They move from company to company. You have, them, you have all of this in the book. And it's like these guys, you know, they know all their counterparts and they know it's really kind of insular world. Mm -hmm. And insularity gives you this extraordinary access. You mentioned Einstein's charisma, mm -hmm. not the phrase you used. You've met CEOs, probably quite a, quite a few by now. I was surprised when I, and I've interviewed a lot for, for my books, I was surprised at how few actually, some do and some don't. I won't say that it's, yeah. it's uncommon. You will meet a CEO and you'll say, man, I get it. This mm -hmm. is a leader of men. Mm -hmm. I would charge up that hill for him. Yeah. And yet you'll also meet CEOs who you say, who are hostile mm -hmm. or you know, truculent, difficult, unpleasant people, and you think, why would anyone, how did he get to that position? Yeah. Isn't this interesting the way yeah. th that a CEO can, that it doesn't, that the position of CEO doesn't necessarily select yeah. for what we consider to be the charismatic leader? Well, you know, you can broaden and you can say, what's always interesting to me is um, how infrequently elected politicians fit the stereotype of the people who we would think. Think of the last two Democratic candidates. For all of their variety of virtues, neither, even remotely, right. possess the quality of charisma. No one would even have, not even they would say that they were charismatic, right? right? So we have, we have a set of qualities that we associate with leadership, and, but only rarely do they actually appear in our leaders. And part of that, I think, is that there's a reaction against Excessive charisma in a potential leader can become almost a strike against them because it puts us on our guard. You know, what is the charge that is leveled against the charismatic person most often? That they are inauthentic, right. that they are dishonest, that they're trying to pull a wool over our eyes, all of which are things which are um, powerfully argue against making them a leader. So we're as suspicious of charisma as we are in its thrall. And very often corporations, I think, who want to project an image of honesty, authenticity, ruggedness, um, you know, all these kinds of very American values, I think very self-consciously choose someone who is not charismatic. Mm -hmm. They want the very classically American archetype of the kind of man of few words, right. you know, rough-hewn, badly dressed. And yet there's a difference between the public face of charisma and the utility within a company, the working with people thing, yeah. which you, you've written about, which I have found that um, almost all the CEOs and, and top managers that I have interviewed are good, have a, a real strength. 
mm-hmm. working with people or getting them to work for them. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Yeah, I, although I will say I have seen it many times, and um, it's enormously reassuring when you see it because then you, the organization's success starts to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently met, I gave a talk and recently met the CEO of the American division of SAP, the mm-hmm. software. Uh, guy is really impressive. Like in a in a very unassuming, modest way, but and everyone around, everyone in the organization, everyone who hears him just says, "Wow, you know, yeah. you know." That's you begin to understand. Well, that's why that's a successful organization in part. Um, so I do think that in the best organizations, find a way to allow that kind of person to flourish, and they recognize that ability's importance. But in a certain way, I'm almost as as taken by the number of cases where. You see real jerks, and you, mm-hmm. I'm, and, who are in great positions of power, and you just don't understand how it happened. Right? You know, of course, those are my favorite characters. Yeah. Well, you've got one in Killer Instinct, you've, right? The original uh, Gordy. So Gordy. I think that those types are every bit as real as these sort of charismatic leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both exist. Well, they, you know, there's something about sales mm-hmm. where I think there are opportunities for that kind of bully mm-hmm. in sales because I think in the short term. You can um, get people. I mean, this is sort of, again, this is part of your book, which is in the short term, those kinds of strong-arming tactics. You can motivate through fear for a while. Right. It didn't last forever. But, you know, the time horizons, the career horizons of some of the people are not very long either. But you can get somewhere in the short term by, um, by motivating in this kind of strong-armed way, particularly in particularly in sales, because so much of sales is a simple function of effort, right? It's... Right. And numbers. And numbers. Yeah. And if you